Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. I'm losing my motherfucking mind, man. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, as the country is erupting and collapsing all around us and all the chickens are coming home to roost, there's only one question I have for you. What is the Very Bad Wizards brand? (laughs) I almost want to pay a branding agency to figure that out for us, but... um, uh, I can't even answer this question because I know it'll be jokey, but it's so cringy to think about what we would do to intentionally brand ourselves. Repugnant. But it would it would be yeah, repugnant. That's like the one <laughs> brand that we came up with. In fact, that's the closest to like marketing is when we took that that one star review, repugnant, which seemed to encapsulate um, us. But but as people have pointed out, maybe we're less repugnant as time goes on. So I don't know that there was that sex robot that turned into like dog fucking and like yeah. and and juvenile dog fucking or yeah maybe maybe those listeners have just become so used to right. they desensitized like we need people <laughs> like calling us out for violating norms yeah but speaking of branding this I know this isn't a conversation to have now but we really we need to get new t-shirts and mugs yeah we're gonna have focus group of very bad wizards listeners no i mean we just need to call in a team of consultants i think that's true um because they know what they're doing and they're not bullshitting at all very nice so that that leads us nicely into what we're talking about yes uh, um our brand is good segues um so today (laughs) we are talking about harry frankfurt's short article it's an article it's not a particularly long article that was turned into a book like almost 20 years later so he wrote the article in 1986 published as a book in in 2005 and it just became a bestseller on a bestseller a bestseller look at that the greatest trick harry frankfurt ever pulled (laughs) convincing the world that his article was a book I, I i want to pull that trick um, and then in the first segment, we're going to talk about branding, in particular this uh, this document of the University of Oregon brand that we came across when Sanjay Srivastava tweeted about it. And um, it is one of the funniest things I've seen in a while. My first thought was that it was chilling, but then I realized it's not chilling. It's just hilarious. Uh, oh, <laughs> 
Yeah. San, Sanjay pointed us to this, and I'm going to give a plug for the Black Goat podcast yeah. uh, for those of you who, who are looking for other podcasts. Um, before we get to that, do you want to talk briefly about what's going on in, in our country right now? <laughs> sure. Yeah. So Tamler and I had a discussion about whether we should talk about this or not, and it seems like the kind of thing that we'd be tone deaf to ignore but also the kind of thing that our podcast isn't necessarily about. And so I don't, we didn't want to have a long discussion about the, all the shit that's going on now with, but it seemed just like the, the worst kind of silence to not say anything. So I, for the record, I want to put out there that like these last few days, man, I don't know, Tamler, we haven't really talked about it, but I've been just feeling completely dejected and, and like sad, angry at what's going on. Um, and extra angry at people's responses about what's going on in the nation. And I don't know. Yeah. Like really upset. Yeah. So we should, it's, uh, it's June 2nd today. This will not come out for another week. So who knows what'll happen by then. Um, right. Yeah, no, it's really, it's, it's horrible and it's exposing this stuff that was here. That was all it was already here and we've yeah. known about it and it, you know, and I said in the opening, the chickens are coming home to roost. That's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. It's like we can't turn our head away from this massive issue um, for much longer because people are just not going to put up with it anymore. And rightly so. Like, I just they're not like there's something. And I mean, to me, you, you said something about you, getting angry at people's reactions to it and obviously there are the racists out there and there's trump who's been even for him just yeah. um so awful in this like whole thing just brings out the worst tear just, gassing yeah. and like having tanks go down so he can do a photo up by the church that just happened yesterday um in a peaceful protest i the thing that I think if the one thing I think that can come out of this, perhaps, even though it's such a such a big thing that needs to happen is significant police reform like that. That just has to happen, like taking on police unions, increasing the power of civilian review boards that if that needs to come out of it and everyone can talk about like people understanding their own whiteness and all of that and that's fine and that's you know that's but if you want something to get done that's the thing that needs to happen and that is a really hard thing to do and it's a really like it's not just a question of electing biden into office because this shit was going on when obama was in office this shit has been going on forever this shit has been going on since we were founded as a country and, and the depressing thing is it may very well be, as some people have said, um, that that like the number of killings has gone down. But it's sort of beside the point. Like, I, I mean, the fact that there still are, you know, not just killings, but incidents of brutality at this rate and and targeted at young black men, especially is is um, something that, you know, part of my sense of being dejected comes from. I think I mentioned this in our Do the Right Thing episode, which if you want to hear our sort of <laughs> take on rioting, um, I think we had a good discussion about that. But, you know, in, in 1980, I was in Miami and I was like a first grader and there were riots, really race riots, because there was a mo- black motorist pulled off his motorcycle and beaten 
by police. And then I was in California in 1992 for the, the Rodney King riots. And to see, to see it all just happening again, it's like, yeah, I, I mean. Well, Ferguson. Um... For, oh, yeah. I mean, it's, and since then, right? Now with, with the ability to, for everybody to have, you know, the Rodney King thing was really incredible that somebody happened to be out with a camcorder just at the right time. But that shit is, when we, you know, when we find one fossil, we know that there are actually probably millions of organisms that didn't fossilize. That's what the Rodney King thing was. Like, that was just one incident that happened to be caught, and now we can catch a whole bunch of it. But the brazen police don't even seem to fucking care. They don't care. That's the thing, is they know they're being—even now, even now when these protests are going on, that's the thing. That's what I mean about, like, the task being so monumental. Yeah. It's they—their mindset and their training and the way they are—the way— Self-protective, like the loyalty, the code that that you won't rat on your fellow police officer— is, or yeah. just expect anything. But not only will you not rat on them, you won't expect any kind of good behavior. You won't even internally. It's it's one thing not to rat out to, you know, like the media or to the mayor or something like that. It's another thing to not even do something internally. You know, I, t- I talked about this in the but in my honor book, that's when honor cultures go wrong. If there's not going to be, if there's going to be a stop snitching code, there also needs to be a self-policing code. And they don't have that. They just absolutely don't have that. Now, I'm sure it's, it's not true for all police, but it's true for enough that this keeps happening. And in some ways, if killings have gone down, it doesn't seem like the just day-to-day hassling no, has not gone at all. All you have to have is like one black male friend to know this. Yeah. Like literally our friend of the podcast, Damani, not too long ago, got a gun pulled. Up. This is the, he is a fucking 45 year old nerd, right? He was with his girlfriend, like going to the beach in Florida and he got pulled over and the cop felt the need to draw his gun. This is yeah, because it's not somebody <laughs> there is a kind of training, this warrior cop mentality where it's like they're going into uh, Afghanistan or something and dealing with the public that are their enemies. Yeah. By the way, also black women. I, I don't mean to exclude that because they're obviously and black cases. and black trans people, too. <laughs> <laughs> Who are women or men? Tamler? Yeah. So I don't know why you felt the need to. <laughs> um <laughs> You know, one thing I wanted to say is that there is this, there's always been this debate about whether it is racism, right? Is it that cops are racist? And then, um, uh, the, like the, the discourse gets centered around that. And I remember after the Ferguson thing, I was like telling my, my intro psych class, which is a fairly large class. Um, and, and I usually avoid kind of political talk. I, you know, I couldn't stop myself from talking about it, but one of the things that I said, which I truly believe is fuck it. If you don't want to call it racist, don't call it racist. Like, let's find solutions for this because that, that argument is one that I think completely, um, not only fails to see the problem, but also actively prevents people from the problem. So things like changing the culture of police from the inside, um, and getting better DAs and all that shit, you know, did you see killer Mike's speech? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, Where, you know, he motivated me for some listeners on Reddit who were talking about my claim to not vote, Killer Mike reminded me that things like the right DAs are the kinds of people that we should be voting, right? Like, fuck the presidential thing, like, I, whatever. But 
But Absolutely. locally, the, the DAs who are failing to prosecute on these cases are critical to solving the problem. Then we can have the argument about racism or even implicit racism. But let's stop the fucking brutality first by by whatever means necessary. But you are, you have to find a DA, a mayor, a chief of police who has the will to take on the police yeah. unions and that the political will needs to be in the community to back that, to support those people. The people who are saying, like, it's not only black people that they're killing are, are right, even though I think it's missing the point. Um, yeah. as well it's not it's not they say it almost as if it's a, like a defense of the police it's like mm-hmm. they're killing white people too sometimes yeah but yeah. there was this big uh and h houston police department is not the worst of these uh of these big city police departments but there was they they did a no-knock raid on a suspected heroin at, uh den they thought and it was just this white couple and who just got gunned down and Jesus. like all the evidence was just then fabricated by the cop it was def- it was like this massive cover up that was exposed and before it was fully exposed and like it, the the police union head this guy uh, Joe Gamaldi said enough is enough if you're the ones out there spreading rhetoric that police officers are the enemy just know we've all got your number now we're going to keep track of y'all we're going to make sure that we hold you accountable every time you stir the pot on our police officers essentially blackmailing the city or extorting the city and again this is in defense of an officer who essentially murdered two innocent people and tried to cover it up afterwards and like Jesus. for those kinds of people, you just have to be like, I, and I know that if that there are good members of the police force, but like, of course, at, at that's a, like, bes- it's, it's beside, beside the, point. the point, you know, it's like, yeah. it would be a ridiculous claim to say that this is all police. Like right. uh, there is very few times where you can say that of any group, right? right. Like it's just missing the point to, to not yeah. say that this is endemic to a, a, a particular culture that's common across the, the, the nation. Uh, yeah. And what I hate is, yeah, it's like. Uh, sometimes people say, well, there was a black police officer who did it. Um, therefore it's not racist or it was white people who got brutalized. Therefore it's not racist. It's like, no, can we just, can we just stop all of the police brutality, you know, and maybe we'll catch the, the brutality against like people who are mentally ill get very brutalized by police, right? They're one of the biggest targets. So it's, it's, it's not all about race in that, in the sense of that problem, Yeah, but it's a fucking in the sense of the warrior cop mentality like i think racism is they are normally racist but when you take the normally racist you know like like as racist as like the average person and when you take that and you you know a lot of these neighborhoods uh black people are more likely to be poor and live in That's neighborhoods right. that police are focusing on most but you know if there are white people in in those kinds of neighborhoods they will fuck with them too and they may not be as likely to fuck with them but it's still it's still bad and it's still it doesn't mean but i think the one thing that like the people who are calling attention to the fact that this isn't all a racial problem. Yes, I just well, I didn't finish my sentence when I said that because I was starting to say it's not all race, it's not all about race, but the problem as it stands now in this country is 
fundamentally there is a deep problem about race that is being addressed. So I didn't want to like downplay that that aspect. Sorry to interrupt you. But. I was just going to say that the, the the one maybe positive thing that people who call attention to that will be it, it isn't a, this isn't going to get solved by making police like a little less racist. Like <laughs> no, is, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, um, that's that's not the way to target this. Like, we want brutality to stop. We want it to stop. Um, is you know, we want it. We see it especially in black communities. But that doesn't mean that making cops less racist is going to solve the problem. Like, in and moreover, it's unclear how we would make cops less racist. Right. So exactly. let's. You know, um, my baby mama, Judith Anderson, works in. I think I've mentioned this before in police with police. Um, training them to lower their stress response when they're on these calls. And so they do these trainings um, and they're not about race or anything, but they are really meant to reduce the judgmental errors that police make in these sort of high pressure situations. And they are under a lot, a lot of stress. And that it's clear that that's the proximal cause of, you know, fear and stress. It's the proximal cause of these bad judgments. So they're, what they do is essentially just training for how to handle the stress response under these high pressure situations. And they have been able to show that you reduce the number of errors in these simulated, um, you know, like the training where they, there's like a hostage crisis or whatever. Um, and so that's, I think that's a good way to address the problem because you're getting at a cause that might actually be uh, able to be changed. By the way, Watchmen is more pertinent than ever. The, the TV series, yeah, which uh, starts now. with the Tulsa, the Tulsa yeah. massacre. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the last thing I'll say is, you know, reforming the way they're trained is is such a huge part of this. And then there's the this guy who killed George Floyd. He was not under a lot of stress. He was he I like he looked like as relaxed as like meditators. During it, so with people like that, and he has had a record of brutality complaints, civilian complaints, reprimands, and he's still out there doing this. Like, then you do need accountability for like people like that because a training yeah. thing is not gonna, you know, absolutely yeah. right. This has to be a whole like like at the level of one of the things that that um, you know when people talk about addressing it at the level of punishment. Of course, and it just makes me sad sometimes that it's harder to address it at the level of the cause and prevention, but but it has to be addressed at that level. Like accountability has to happen. Um, it just can't be can, the only thing because like this guy going to prison is not yes. going to fix the problem. Can I say one last thing which really, really got to me is um, the tendency for some people on social media <laughs> to tweet against the violence of the riots or post on social media against the violence of the riots, um, calling out, and I'm going to, I'll call out names like Lee Jussum did this, calling out saying academics have been silent on the, the badness that is the, the riots. Um, he can't said we that? Really? Also, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. Can't we also tweet, um, uh, you know, Christina has been very vocal in showing in posting things that are violent, violent about I, the yeah. riots. But I'm, I, I muted see... her like I can't like I can't. Yeah. Yeah. But and I'm, and I'm in she, trouble. It got like, to me because <laughs> I can't like really talk to her about this. Like, uh, uh, yeah, it's like fine. You know, obviously shit is bad when you have people who are being violent on the streets. And there are a lot of people who are trying to stop that who are peacefully protesting. But I the way that I feel is you're not allowed <laughs> On my my book of rules, you're not allowed to 
to speak out against that unless you already spoke out to the injustices like uh, that that caused this to go on. I, I know that's an arbitrary rule on my part, but I just feel really strongly that it's just yeah. upsetting. I also think that like, yeah, I think that whole conversation is misguided. Of course, like this isn't like if if you're looking at it at the level of strategy, it's not like they're not doing it for strategy. These rioters, they're doing it because they're so angry and feel like this problem never gets solved. And whether it's peaceful protests or violent protests, it doesn't matter. Like this, this never changes. This has been going on forever. It doesn't change. It keeps happening. And so, of course, that's going to lead to uh, a violent reaction sometimes among. I mean, uh, and then, you know especially if they're like breaking into targets or like apple stores i i totally i understand it you know. i know i do i i again if anybody feels like listening to our do the right thing episode i think that one of the things that we really expressed was like just a i think that that movie is trying to give a deep understanding of the kind of frustration that would lead you to be destructive and it's not that I'm saying like, of, of course, that's probably not the best um, strategy right now, but it is in some ways the best expression that's available to some people. And yeah, there's going to be looters. I, I have a friend actually who was in L.A. during, he's a black guy in L.A. during the, the Rodney King riots, but I didn't know him at that time. And I asked him later on, like I met him like two years later and I go, hey, where were you during the riots? And he goes, man, peas. <laughs> We went down to the Circuit City, but the cops were already there. <laughs> like he was just, he was just really just looking forward uh, to getting some free shit. But again, these are people who economically have been, right. have been, you know, amongst the most, right? It's not, it's not your. It's, and a lot of, you know, a lot of these people have just lost their jobs in the last two months and they have no money. Yeah. I like, look, it's not. Yeah, it's the last thing on my mind that that's that's not the problem. That is a symptom of it. And yes, you know what shouldn't happen? Like going into poor communities and the small businesses and burning down like stores um, for people who are on your side. So yes, okay, Justin, that's wrong. I do, I really do. But like, other than that, it's the you know this is what's going to happen when you have a society like this that doesn't seem to care about violence again and brutality against against you it wasn't that spike lee hated sal's pizzeria or sal yeah right it was that that was the only way he found to express that rage um that i don't know how i don't know how i could handle it if i were black you know the black people who i know have showed such restraint in at least from my perspective, um, because I would be like, how dare a police officer do this? I would like be taking it to court. But, you know, I the the the, then there is this extra little bit of fucked upness with the like white supremacist agitators going in and Antifa. But the terror, I think that's I think that's a side issue. There's just not enough of those people like these things are happening in every city and. Uh, there's just not. It, I I I, re, I think that ultimately this is both peaceful and violent coming from 
people who really care about this and aren't just in there to like cynically start shit, even though that has, I'm sure that's happening a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Should we talk about something funnier? (laughs) Yeah. It almost feels (laughs) weird to switch over to to the ridiculousness of of the branding statement. (laughs) So this Uh. is the University of Oregon. Uh, we should say that a lot of universities have this. We're just yeah. picking this one because We're, Sanjay tweeted it. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I did look to see if we had one. We have something about like a brand, but it's not anywhere near as ridiculous as I, as this yeah. one. I don't know if Cornell, Cornell. There's a couple of schools at Cornell, Cornell ILR and Cornell Agriculture, I think, who have them, but they are not my schools. And I didn't even bother to read them because uh, I'm sure it would just be cringeworthy like this. So it says uh, brand and style is how it's titled. And it, it leads off with this. The University of Oregon brand is not something that marketers or communicators made. It's something the university itself made. The students, faculty, staff, alumni, and community over the course of its entire history. So <laughs> it just starts out with like a transparent lie, right? Like, That's or at least old clip. <laughs> well, given that the university's been around for all this time, and that the the culture must have been shaped by all that time, th- therefore we can say that it's the entire history that's influencing the brand. I mean, you can say that, but like these people <laughs> have been brought in from outside. They say that they've interviewed, or no, that 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 uh, base. This is based on what dozens of students, faculty, and staff members told us about the University of Oregon. So these are people from outside who interviewed dozens of people to find out what the University of Oregon brand is for their over the course of its entire history. Um, this is, is, I think I've, I, I think I've gone on, uh, on a rant about focus groups, so, but I, I won't now, but it smacks of focus groups. And the, the, um, I can just, just the claim that bringing in like three people at a time and asking them questions is going to be in any way reflective of, (laughs) especially when they're being guided by a brand person is, is ridiculous. This is, but this is true of all these branding companies, man. That's, that's what they rely on. They say in order to develop a brand that's able to flex for different audiences. That's probably a word, like some sort of buzzword. We had to first define the general tone of our messaging, a baseline personality, if you will. Like, I don't even know it. Like, I, 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 I can't say I will because I don't know what that means, like a baseline personality. So we started by identifying several qualities that sh- are or should be consistently used as descriptors for our brand. So again, now they're saying like, it should be if if they're not already, and they and they selected six words, um, and the first of the and these words are irreverent, <laughs> progressive, extraordinary, alive, natural, and inclusive. And then they go through. I kind of feel like we should just go through what they say about yeah. either. Yeah, and I think that that um, we'll obviously put a link to this in, in our show notes. But the graphic already um, is made to look like an equalizer, like a, a stereo equalizer, 
uh, with with each of the words being on a lever that you can push up or down, which they which, which they will go come on back. to actually use that metaphor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like moral foundations theory. Oh God. Um, uh, mm-hmm. So the first is irreverent. No. This character quality doesn't mean we should ever be dis- disrespectful or disparaging. Like, who's the oh, no for? Like, so, so playful. <laughs> so it playful. reminds us that our brand should not shrink from being bold, unexpected, and fearless about challenging uh, convention. We can dial this quality up to create messaging for prospective and current students or dial it down for peer, donor, and key opinion leader audiences. So like for, for for the for the kind of racist alumni, like maybe tone down yeah. the irreverence that uh, the bold, unexpected, fearless. There is this again, like, and I'm, I assume we'll talk about this more. This smack of inauthenticity, where you know, I get that naturally. I'm sure you and I we talk differently to students and differently to our peers and differently to a prospective uh, donor. Like that's, that happens naturally, right? but to do it so intentionally is what really gets to me where you're like, Oh, I'm around students. It's like, it's, it's like that Steve Buscemi, um, uh, meme, um, hello, fellow kids. Hello. Fe- <laughs> it's right. <laughs> fellow children or something like that. Yeah. I don't even remember. Um, yeah. All right. So progressive, we never, this is just empty just purely empty, like not, means nothing. We, take our, we never take our eyes off the horizon. We exist as a university to help push humanity forward. We, we, we collaborate, innovate, and find better ways. Like literally no specific concrete thing about what it would mean to be progressive. Uh, innovate is one of these, innovation and innovate is one of these words that has taken over business speak in a way that it's just the perfect, um, again, I don't think there's a better, this is a better intro segment for what we're going to discuss in the second (laughs) segment, but innovate is the perfectly vacuous statement where it's, if you push people on what they mean by innovate, there it's, there's no definition. It's just a a placeholder word that sounds cool. What about not taking your eyes off the horizon? What is like what 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 could they, what like what is what do they even what think that possibly that means? mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What could it possibly mean? I have no idea. I, All right, <laughs> let's go to extraordinary because this is a great one. Like in a different way. Uh, this, simply put, this is when the one quote that I chose to text back at you when you sent me this. When I said that it, first this. sentence, go for it. Simply put, there is nothing we don't do well here. I also <laughs> like the second sentence. Which is uncommon. It's is that a complete <laughs> sentence? It's not. <laughs> but you know, that's part of their irreverence, maybe. Yeah, like go back to the it. first tone word. You know, you forgot <laughs> forgot about that. Dial it down, guys. <laughs> Dial it down. Um simply put, there's nothing that we don't do well here. This sounds like something that not even Michael Jordan would say. This is like you can only imagine that this would come out of the mouth of somebody who was so insecure that they would feel the need to say that there's nothing they don't do well. You know, it's like this is, one thing you don't do well is express yourself because. <laughs> uh, and something we must they must be comfortable touting, usually with the help of confident, straightforward messaging and unsubtle design. We never want to come across as arrogant or conceited. Oh, really? (laughs) You just said (laughs) there's nothing we don't do well here. (laughs) 
this document was not meant for us to see, apparently. And the last sentence, last couple sentences, we also see this as extra, two words, ordinary, as in more than the usual. Isn't that just what extra That's just what it means. means. <laughs> exactly. There's more here. This is awesome. This is like one of the, my favorite things I've seen. Like, thank God for this in it's this all, time. It's, <laughs> It's 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 like pointing out something that everybody knows. Like, you know when your kids realize for the first time that something I can't think of an example right now, but they're like, "Oh, that word means that because of this." Like that's it that's like they had that insight about the word extraordinary and they thought it was clever to to like put it in. <laughs> but, but but I like to say we also see this. It's not just extra it's not just extraordinary, it's extraordinary. It's both things. It's that, both. That, we yeah. we disagree coincidentally with you, that, like, the two, the, yeah. that word can be divided into <laughs> two words that we also are you know <laughs> alive okay so this one i actually have a problem with because uh there's just something about this place the energy on campus is palpable the electricity in the air at uo events is astonishing it comes from uh everywhere blah 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 blah, blah. alive is about our desire to do it says. Now, the reason I have a problem with this, aside from it just being completely empty, is I've felt that way and said things like that about, like, the University of Houston campus. And and I remember, like, comparing it to the Rice campus and just, like, which felt kind of dead to me. And whenever I'm at U of H and, like, I'm just walking on campus, I feel like this, like, aliveness and, like, that is palpable. Like, yeah, I've, like, so now that's ruined because of this. <laughs> You know, like, when I, I've been it's, on it's on Princeton campus, it feels like people are are just struggling to stay alive. <laughs> it does exactly. <laughs> they're alive, right. but they're just like it's oh. <laughs> No, there are campuses like that where it's just yeah. like, yeah, it's like walking tombs. Like it's just like a big giant <laughs> like mass grave or something. Yeah, one of the problems with this whole document is that there is some Sometimes tacit, sometimes explicit desire to dis, to to use these words as something that distinguishes them from every other school that ends up being unwittingly insulting to 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 other schools because it's not as if there aren't other schools that are like this and this is not unique. It's the whole positioning of this is that University of Oregon is unique because it's alive or or progressive or irreverent, and that just can't be true. And and just don't 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 say that it is like just you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, no, do because I want more of this. Okay, can I read this next one? Because yeah. it's yet another instance of like of, of cleverness. <laughs> cleverness in quotes. Natural. It's about nature, but it's not just about nature. And na- <laughs> italicized. This the second nature is italicized to demonstrate that this is two different meanings. Right. It's about. <laughs> It's about human nature and the way we interact with each other. Now, like, again, how is this not true everywhere? You can be doing something well and be intense and in someone's face, or you can be relaxed and comfortable in who you are. That's us, approachable. That's how University of Oregon carries itself. The more this lever is dialed up, the more casual the tone. Like, I don't even, like, that last sentence 
What does that mean exactly? The more I was trying to do it at the end there. Did you notice my voice acting at like the end? I was you were trying being casual, but also I was trying to dial up the casual tone. Yeah, but that because of that's it's about human nature. It's about nature, not just yeah. nature. And it's about incomplete sentences, <laughs> Approach, approachable. Uh, yes, that's a great one because again, like I have no idea what they're like what this is supposed to mean like exactly you can be doing something well and be intense and in someone's face that doesn't sound casual right or you can uh, be not at all right <laughs> so what like i don't so i don't get what the what what this tone word is supposed to be <laughs> I'm like i'll be yeah. honest like that one is totally confusing me um, um. The last inclusive. one is one that that of like of course every school is going to have inclusive. The university has a long history of being inclusive, from the free speech plaza to the welcoming mentality applied to everyone. We pride ourselves in welcoming all kinds. They have a free speech plaza, right? That sounds very or I mean, this whole thing has an Orwellian kind of feel to it, but that sounds especially indicating that in other places, <laughs> free like speech isn't as free. This um, small plaza where there is <laughs> where the, where people are allowed to say stuff. Can you imagine if it's too crowded and you really want to say something that's on your mind, but you can't? Um, but it's more than that. We don't merely welcome them. We encourage them to collaborate and support each other as they discover who they are. A physics student who wants to also major in cinema studies? Sure. Come on in. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is like, uh, <laughs> there's a subreddit called Not Like the Other Girls. Yeah. And that's what it sounds like. Like, <laughs> oh, I'm not like every, there's a physics student who wants to major in cinema. Oh my God. Whoa. They can't, you can't do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you can? Oh my God. <laughs> um, and, and note how they, they switch what it, what I would naturally think of as inclusive, which by the way, I think is a great thing to have in a statement, but they switch the meaning that everybody is thinking, which is inclusive in terms of minority students, probably or underrepresented students, and they make it about like what major you have and the free speech plaza, which is at least mention underrepresented minority. I don't know. I just and I and, wonder what the percentage of like how diverse University of Oregon is in Eugene, Oregon. They have one Indian professor, as far as I know. <laughs> <laughs> we can say that with, with absolute yeah, certainty. With, with certainty. What really gets me about this, though, is um, in the next section, they represent the uh, various states of the equalizer. So you can imagine the equalizer. They have six levers. They're the six brand words. And you can dial it up depending on your audience. So well, for perspective, It's designed to flex for a different audience. It's flex. <laughs> so for prospective students, the irreverent uh, dial is all the way up. But what fucks me up is that the inclusive one is dialed nearly all the way down for alumni audience. <laughs> Are they just saying, like, dude, don't talk about that minority shit, like, in front of the people who might give us money? Exactly. That's what I those was are, thinking. Those like, are the whites. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't, don't mess with the whites. <laughs> yeah, like, maybe go extraordinary. Although... <laughs> Or, or even extraordinary. Right. Yeah. Like, you choose. Like, we're going to let you have the—we're going to let you flex on that. Natural or natural. <laughs> um, I, yeah, this is what actually struck me as the insincere part that, that bothered me because the rest I could call vacuous. But this part—like, I, I know that you have to talk to people in different ways— 
But this sort of strategic way of dialing up irreverence or dialing down inclusivity is is obviously not an expression of the character of a college, whatever the character is, right? If you can even say that a, that a university has character, then you're, you're not expressing the full character that you said they had. This, this then goes, and, and I sort of wonder, like, I, I can't believe that anybody is taken in by this, but let me just read, like, a little further on. Um, we need to understand the voice for our brand. Like, we need to understand the voice for our brand. Like, I, I guess it's for, like, I'm, writing I'm copy. I'm picturing Bob, Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> and this is the brand voice that was developed for the UO. So already they're saying it was developed right now. Like, they're just admitting right now that we developed, this external firm developed a brand voice. Well, in, in conjunction with the entire the, history. The, 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 of dun- the dozens of... Uh, the, the, the dozens the, like, that represent the, the entire history. Like, 32 students and faculty <laughs> and alumni that they interviewed. The, they or picked, not interviewed, the, probably the just... The self-selected had, into yeah. a... a, a uh, Panel. Probably filled out like a 10 item survey. It is smart, com- confident, informed, and approachable, like our students, our faculty, our community. It's, quote, intelligently informal. Like, why is that in quotes? <laughs> hey. Know. I feel like that should be the brand that we go that we go with, intelligently you know? informal. I, yeah, I really strive, you know, to be seen as smart. <laughs> Basically, being smart is is what's the most important. He says that they say a quick test to see if you're on the right track tonally is to ask yourself, does it sound intelligently informal? <laughs> I don't know why I wasn't expecting that, but I was drinking water. When you said, that's, <laughs> that's we not- want you to be intelligently informal. What does that mean? Well, here's a way. Does it sound intelligently informal? It's, <laughs> it's like the worst of virtue theory, you know, when you're like, how do I be a good person? Well, think to yourself, what is a good person? Am I be being that. a good person? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Ask yourself, are you being a good person? Um, and does it compel you to want to read on? No, honestly, what compelled us to read on was something entirely different, but yes. <laughs> okay, so then this might be my favorite thing in the whole document. So they talk about headlines, like what you should do for headlines, and they have different, like, you know, it's not just a one-size-fits-all. They have, like, different headlines. It examples. has to be flex. It, it has, has to be flex. flex. <laughs> so for a quote, now they, they also just randomly put things in quotes. For a sense of place, in quotes, or a location, here's a headline. There's something about this place. Everything. <laughs> Is there an That's empty- the worst headline (laughs) i've ever read is there a more contentless like headline that you could if you were given like a thousand dollars to come up with a more contentless head yeah to uh to give a a little bit of a a preview of the next discussion at least dewey defeats truman was wrong right (laughs) Right. at least that's wrong like this isn't even wrong this is unclear like it's it's just it says nothing It, it it I think they think it sounds good, but yeah, it sounds just transparently empty. It's very weird that they would think this is a good headline because I think any journalist who is actually working in making headlines would think this is a terrible headline. But what it sounds like um, very, very clearly is if you read this in commercial speak, it all makes sense. Right. There's something about this place. Everything. Everything. 
you know, yeah. and they, uh, with that tone, then at least I get the sense that they're, but, but for a real headline, it's <laughs> for, for university of Oregon research. This is great. Yeah, this is yeah, great. again with their with their <laughs> with their clever wordplay. This is this is Oscar Wilde coming up. Right I can't. Now. I can't. This <laughs> one. This one is what made me want to just throw down my iPad. <laughs> with for the University of Oregon research, I'm going to try to get through this. <laughs> we search. We research. We re we research. I almost made it. I almost did it. Okay. <laughs> you know, I've mentioned before this um uh William James wrote a poem while he was under the influence of nitrous oxide and he like published it. <laughs> that go and read that poem and you and that's exactly what it sounds like. It's like uh it's like somebody got high and thought that this was <clears throat> like a, a cool sounding. <laughs> we search period we re hyphen search period <laughs> and then we research where research is a full word and it's like that that level of cleverness is too much you know it's that just... there was like a fist bump after the person thought of that and like floated it to his supervisor this, or something. they thought this was their made man <laughs> moment Ma- <Yeah>. like <laughs> uh, this is their masterpiece this is their like <laughs> oh man for oregon law Notable clients include land, air, water, and food. No See, idea. Because, what that because they're not actually clients. That's just, <laughs> get it. <laughs> but like, what is? But what does that mean? I get that they're not actual clients. But what is that like? They. It's intended to convey, I believe, that they are a law school that focuses on progressive kinds of of law. Right. So so environmental law. Um, they must be that they, this is, this at least communicated something to me. I don't know if it's right, but it communicated a, like, a, unlike the, we research, we research. I don't know. It could be like land, like foreclosures. They could be like working on foreclosures, <laughs> air, like funding massive, like, you know, like class action lawsuits against, uh, airline like, companies. Yeah. Uh, water, <laughs> you know, who knows? Um, anyway, that's the end. It's and then wait, like this is what they end with. They say, "See how this seems to come from the same. See how they seem to come from the same place, the same voice. They <laughs> yes. get in your head, make you want to read on. This is what good headlines do. Do this. Uh, it's like uh, it's the most cringeworthy. I, I, there was nothing as funny as that in what follows. No, uh, the, I mean, there is like, you could like, it's all kind of brilliant. Like you should definitely go to it. This is where we can really let our intelligently informal brand voice sing. Uh, and, and then they just start talking about like people alive. Tamler, very bad wizards, a podcast and a pod cast. <laughs> <laughs> that's our new, that's our new <laughs> podcast. And, uh-huh. And the hyphen. Oh, we can include the the third one can be italicized. A podcast, a podcast, and a podcast. <laughs> um, this is, but this is to to uh, again uh, bring this back to something serious. At, if I read this in a genuine, um, non like sarcastic asshole way that we were doing it right now, a way to try to determine how to write something, I don't think I would know. I don't like. I actually don't think that this gave me any concrete ways. No, right. 
it's 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 so vacuous. It's, it's so bullshit. useless. It's so devoid of like anything concrete or useful for anybody to do anything. It is. It's it's kind of that's what's like remarkable about it. It's not even like reprehensible in the way. Like at first, I thought it was reprehensible, but it doesn't have enough just sense. It doesn't have enough meaning yeah. to be reprehensible. It's not, even, it's not even wrong, as they say. Um, the this is. By the way, again, like uh, it, in some sense, it's unfair to pick on University of Oregon because this is what branding companies do. And I've had the the whatever the opposite of privilege is to work with um, companies that we were working with at BE Works who also had a branding company like on that project, and they were the worst. Like, so I'll give you an example: a company like a big hotel company hired an external branding firm to talk. They want to revamp their loyalty plan. And these guys, they like their idea was for how to get in the headspace of loyalty as a concept. They had like a circular, like a wheel with the word loyalty in the middle and a bunch of other words that kind of mean loyalty right. all like surrounding it. And I was <laughs> like, what? Like, how much did you get paid for essentially going to like Roger's thesaurus and like giving me <laughs> that's. It's just comp- it's built on nothing. So this is bullshit. Now, whether I, I sometimes wonder with this people because I feel like I can get in the head of I don't know, like Kim Jong Un, better than I can get in the head of somebody who does <laughs> this for a living. You know, like, but do yeah. they believe this? Like, are, is this a purely cynical em- enterprise? Like, I, I, if I had to guess, I would say no. That they actually I, they think have that to believe it. Tamara, they, they have to believe it. Yeah. Like they have to believe that what they're doing is meaningful. And to give a little bit of credit to advertisers and marketing firms and, and even branding firms, that the there is a way in which, you know, commercials can make you feel an emotion, right? They're, the best advertising is advertising that makes you feel something like it mimics art and then they sneakily make you be a consumer at the end. But this isn't that, and I don't. I doubt that that branding for most corporations or, or in this case, universities, is actually anywhere where near that. It's, they're not doing art, right? Well, this they're, is they're not paying. Probably, it's not like Apple, you know, where yeah, they're paying right. like the best people at this to do it. Right, it's, and, uh, and yeah. the audience here is, you know, it's like so I was wondering when I was reading it, like so. Like, who really is seeing headlines like this? You know, it can't be the school paper or whatever. It, you know, it, this is, I guess, in newsletters to alumni. It, like, is that Does that make them feel good to see this stuff? I don't know. I can't like, imagine maybe, anyone consults this, like, for doing anything. Like, this is probably just something that, like, they hired a company to do. And it's... I really can't imagine. Like, I would love if we have listeners that work in a, a company like this and maybe they're not fully on board or maybe they are and we're missing something. I would love for you to tell me, like, how this kind of operation works. Like, because I have been lucky enough to not have to only see this, like, you know, secondhand, not to be a part of it. You know, this is something that um, we, we mentioned last time that we were going to appear on Two Psychologists, Four Beers, but they didn't release it until now. Now, when you hear this, they'll have released it. But one of the things, I don't know if it made the edit, we were talking about the 
lack of incentive for the for any of these companies to figure out to measure whether or not they had success in in branding. So like uh, these companies just they're fly they're not fly by night in the in the sense of like they're they're you know businesses that are standing, but they they drive by, they come, they give input, and then they leave, and there's nothing ever done to determine whether that was a good branding strategy. And it's hard to know in some cases what what it would mean to be a good branding strategy. Well, I, like what I don't understand is why. Like, there's so many things at, at a big university that I don't understand. Like, why do they keep revamping like the websites every two years, and why do they keep doing these things? And why are like it seems like if you were a president, you would be like, this stuff is bullshit, and and it costs money. Like, I I, <laughs> I don't get it. In my experience, there is a degree of like. Sisyphean work that goes on in these places where what they want to know, what your what the VP of marketing wants to know is that you did something. And doing something is hiring an external branding company and and giving me a final report. Oftentimes, again, this from my experience, oftentimes they will commission a report just to show that they did and they will heed none of the advice. Um, and it's I think it's it's especially problematic in bureaucratic companies. Because I think that like small companies would never put up with this bullshit because they can't afford it, right? But this, these are like very big companies who have such a strong corporate structure that um, the the way that they communicate is just to show somehow that they were busy. You know, it's it's crazy. It is. It really is. If if people have more documents like this that they can share with us, like you know, you need cheering up in times like this. So uh, I I this honestly did the, this did the job. It did the job, and I, on, I'm, I swear to God, if it, if it weren't that people wouldn't understand the reference, I would make a podcast, a podcast, our next shirt. I, that's what, like, maybe the title or something. You know? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, all all right. right, let's get back to have we now for now we'll have in the second segment true important philosophy because it will help us analyze what we just read what we just read all right we'll be right back today's episode is brought to you by the great courses plus i am very excited to have them as a sponsor learning about various perspectives can help us make sense of the world as it changes every day and the great courses plus is a streaming service that is an excellent resource to expand our knowledge on a whole variety of subjects, a wide array of subjects. Um, and you will gain valuable, reliable insights from some of the world's best teachers. Such a fantastic way to keep your minds active while staying close to home, which we now have to do. Um, yeah, I mean, so we've actually been talking about Great Courses Plus and why it might be perfect for our listeners. I know you've been excited about this for a while. One of the things that we were talking about is one of the most frequent emails that we get is um, something along the lines of, could you do an episode that's kind of like a primer to introduce us to a bunch of, to, to the topics that, that you cover? Because a lot of what we say might be, you know, something that you only pick up if you take a philosophy course. And we're never going to do an episode like that. Yeah, um, that's not what we do. Right. But this Great Courses Plus is a great way to just get your foot in the door to learn some philosophy. So they have a course called The Great Ideas of Philosophy that just takes you through the history of philosophy, at least from the Western philosophical tradition, from Plato to Voltaire and, and beyond. You can learn more about Kant than even we know 
Um, if you dig down deep, even Kant specialists like us. Yeah. Even Kant specialists like us. I have a special bond to this. So great. Now this is the great courses plus streaming app and also the, the website, but I used to listen to cassette tapes back in the day on classical music. And, you know, it was really the first time in my life that I appreciated classical music, which is something that you need, of course, to get you, just give you the basics so that you can understand what's going on. And that just opens the door for greater appreciation. Yeah. And it's not just audio. It's also video. They have an Apple TV app where you can stream video so you can watch it as a family if you want. And you get all the unlimited courses for a monthly fee, except Great Courses Plus is offering our listeners an entire month for free to start your free month's trial. You have to use that special URL, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash wizards. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash wizards. Go there. Just try it out for a month, you know, for free. You have nothing to lose there and learn something about a topic that you didn't know enough about to fully appreciate. Our thanks to The Great Courses Plus for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time where we like to take a moment and thank all the people who have reached out to us in all the different ways that you do, whether to criticize us, to thank us, to, I don't know, interact with us. It's really, really nice. We just got an email right before recording where somebody said, thanks, you've gotten me through some tough times. And that was it. And like that kind of message is just, it is so meaningful to us. Like, I don't know. Yeah. You got me through some shit. Like, that's like the best thing you can hear. Like, I really, you know, like, I, we. I, do you ever get that from students that will sometimes write you and oh, just yeah. like, you know, students in a big class that you might not have even known and they'll take totally. a moment. It's so meaningful like that. And I don't think I ever did that. I mean, there was no email really when I went yeah, to undergrad, right. but like, I like, I, I feel... I feel terrible about not having done that. You know? I was lucky enough to have a small college where I could be in contact with the professors afterwards. And, and I did that like I was able to years after. But um, yeah, the students, I always write back. I, I, I don't think you realize how much this means to us professors yeah. to hear. And yeah. yeah, 
That's anyway, true. And same is true for our listeners. Yeah. <laughs> like, totally. Like, it's great. And um, if you would like to get in touch with us for any reason, not to thank us, to tell us we're totally full of shit, that we're bullshitters. Bullshit. Um, you can email us, verybadwizards at gmail.com. You can tweet at us, at Tamler, at Peas, at verybadwizards. You can follow us on Instagram. You can like us on Facebook and see the conversation there. And you can join the subreddit, the lively subreddit community, very, uh, reddit.com slash r slash verybadwizards, um, which is run by people that maybe... Hopefully we'll meet someday. Yeah, that's right. Is that- uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts too. That's all <laughs> nice. and, um, and download us or, or or subscribe to us on Spotify. Yes, and if you would like to support us in more tangible ways, we really appreciate it. You can go to our support website, verybadwizards.com uh, uh, slash vbw slash support i believe no no slash vbw support you'll find it there's a link <laughs> um just you go can to support the home page and click just support. go to our home page um you can support us by uh making a one-time donation or a recurring donation on paypal um especially if you're at a place that doesn't accept patreon um but you can become one of our patreon patrons which we really really appreciate appreciate so much that we uh just the other day finished recording um the the long promised episode on the leftovers yeah and it was a long promised long episode and we don't edit those yeah so (laughs) so there so there you go take that (laughs) i don't know if it's a gift or or a burden (laughs) a burden but but that will be posted Soon, yeah. right? Yeah, it'll be posted b- before this is posted. So um, it'll be up. And we also, for our beloved, are they especially beloved, our $5 and up per episode listeners? I might I, say. I, I, I don't, I don't, you say it. I don't like to say that because, you know, times are tough for some people. So yeah. there you go. So we're, <laughs> everybody is beloved, but they will get to vote on one of our topics that we selected in the opening segment last uh, time that were all suggested by all of our Patreon um, supporters, no matter what level of support. Tons of good suggestions. I'm sure we'll get through a bunch of different topics. I think On Bullshit was came out of this one time, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think that's that, that might be true. It definitely came yeah. from a listener, and so... Yeah, we appreciate it. These, these, it's always fodder for, like, the next year. And, and, you know, listen, we always, we always have this section asking for this support, um, if you're able to do it, but we are committed to always making our podcast free. I think, was that a subtweet of that? It was a subtweet. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's okay. Soon we'll be completely thrown off the the charts because Joe Rogan is going to Spotify. Everybody's going to follow. Nobody's going to listen to us anymore. Yeah, no, I know. Like, that's the new thing. Can we promise we'll never do that, only be available on Spotify? I will like, never only be available on Spotify unless they give me $100 million. <laughs> yeah, then <laughs> then we might be, you know, like, we'll figure it out. Uh, yeah. I don't think Spotify is, is interested. <laughs> but I, I think mean, we're going to have to face that. I haven't checked my spam filter. So, you know, before yeah. I say that they didn't email <laughs> us, like I got it. <laughs> Spotify is a good deal though. You know? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. So let's get to on bullshit. This was, 
I think the story of this, it's a little like the, you know, the Gettier article, that three-page article that ended up getting a Gettier tenure and, like, you know, being cited 50 trillion times. It's like the story behind it is as interesting, if not more interesting, than the, than the thing itself, although I think it's a really good piece. Um, it was an article that he published in a quarterly which I don't have in front of me right now, in 1986. And then in 2005, he somebody had him turn it into a book, which then became a, a bestseller for Princeton University Press. Like, I, I don't exactly know why or what the, like, how that all came together and what the, but it's kind of amazing. It's like... The, the title was something like I really wonder because as we'll discuss this is he's doing actual analytic philosophy here and I wonder how many people bought it thinking that it would be something that it's not actually um I wonder <laughs> that too frustrated. yeah so Harry Frankfurt is he's a Princeton University professor on that dead campus and <laughs> almost no 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 almost it's dying dying yes and he's a big a contributor and kind of foundational contributor to the f- modern free will moral responsibility debate. He, of course, is behind Frankfurt cases. Um, he used them in a very famous paper called Moral Responsibility and Alternate Alternate Possibilities, or or the reverse of that. I don't remember, but um, uh, although he was not a contributor to the industry that became of Frankfurt cases. He pre- he didn't really write much about it. And then also another paper on free will, freedom of the will and the concept of the person, which I think is actually kind of a brilliant essay, introduced the idea of higher order, higher order desires and higher order volitions being more, it's, it's easier to consider us responsible or free for those. And it, it just introduced a new way of thinking about um, free will and moral responsibility that that is that was legitimately valuable and maybe one day we'll do that paper because it's actually it's not as clear cut as you know it it gets presented in the secondary literature. It's, do you know? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't remember if if we've talked about this, but but um, my dissertation in graduate school ended up being um, essentially uh, Harry Frankfurt inspired um like really? that that paper yeah it was all on meta desires i ended up publishing it with eric ullman and peter salvey it's on meta desires um and and judgments of responsibility and i unabashedly to i mean accredited frankfurt um <laughs> but unabashedly was influenced by by him he also turned that into another interesting line of research on authenticity which is also oh maybe, interesting yeah I would love I I don't know that work I don't think I would love to talk authenticity is something that I always there's a lot of bullshit about it but uh, there's always like I have the temptation to read something good and to, and discuss it on, yeah on, and I and I yeah. actually don't like I don't remember I don't even know if I've read that stuff I just know that he's done it I know that people I respect like it so this is on bullshit is an interesting kind of article right it's not uh i don't think there's a single i guess there's citations but not Hi, really there's like the yeah i don't i don't think there's a citation or a footnote i mean he definitely quotes a couple of people yeah but there is no you know maybe this is the book version that that i i'm reading 
Like he definitely quotes the Oxford English Dictionary. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I think I, I looked into this. They're exactly the same, the book version huh, and the yeah, article wow. version. Yeah, and it, it's like an old-time philosophy article like that Bertrand Russell used to write in the vein of In Defense of Idleness where it's not in a literature that it is trying to contribute to. It is just thinking of a concept or a topic and reflecting on it and exploring it and the topic is bullshit and he says at the start that we don't have a theory of bullshit and we're not this is very important we probably wouldn't be discussing this if he (laughs) didn't say this he says we're not going to come up with necessary and sufficient conditions for it. it will just be arbitrary at that point but we can, through this kind of exploration, get at, you know, I don't know how, how, how literally to take this, but something about the essence of bullshit um, yeah, just or by at least kind of exploring core, it. Right, at least the core of what we mean, right? The, the big assumption is that these words mean things and that we deploy them in situations that are similar to each other. Or again, not situations that you could define clearly with clear boundaries, but that we deploy it as a concept, even though we don't have uh, a well-worked-out theory of what it is. And the question, how are we deploying this? Like, what are we saying when we say that something is bullshit is, I, I think, an interesting one. I, I agree with you, though, that had he not said that. Because he, he flirts with it. He flirts with <laughs> he it. Still, he flirts with it. <laughs> but it was important that he says that. It was important for me that he, <laughs> yeah. that he said he, he also started to. out like I don't know if you were going to get to this, but the very first sentence is that that um, one of the most he says one of the most salient features of our culture is that there is so much bullshit. Everyone knows this. Each of us contributes his share. Each of us contributes his share, and um, I don't even know what it means to say there's a lot of bullshit because in reference to what, like I guess, like everything we discussed in the in the first segment about the. Like, I would classify that as total bullshit. So there is a lot if if we're counting that. But are we bombarded by bullshit? One of the things that's interesting about the def, uh, not a definition, but at least a kind of account of it, a loose account of bullshit that he ends up with is I'm not sure if actually what we discussed, that branding document would be, would count as bullshit, even though it clearly seems to me to be bullshit. So I think there is something maybe that his account is leaving out um he has, I think- a, he has a section that uh is almost intended to capture this but then he kind of contradicts himself one of the things about bullshit being common today though it, it it seems very prescient given when he wrote this in 1986 why is there so much bullshit of course it is impossible to be sure that there is relatively more of it nowadays than at any other times there is more communication of all kinds in our time than ever before but the proportion that is bullshit may not have increased uh, but then he says i will i mention a few considerations that help to account for the fact that that it is currently so great Bullshit is unavoidable whenever circumstances require someone to talk without knowing what he is talking about. Now, if you think about that sentence and then you think about social media and how that magnified, just multiplied the circumstances where people are required or at least motivated to talk. That's what I was going to say. It's funny that 
that he couldn't have known that there would be so much opportunity in a non-required way to spout bullshit. And then he says later on in that paragraph, closely related instances arise from the widespread conviction that it is the responsibility of a citizen in a democracy to have opinions about everything or at least anything, everything that pertains to the conduct of his country's affairs. Again, you kind of feel like you have to talk even if you don't know what you're talking about. There's pressure on people to do that. That's why people feel like they can they should answer uh, survey questions that they actually don't know anything about. Like Slate Star Codex had a, a post that I don't know if it's new or not, but my my uh, student or Paul Bloom, who loves him, sent it to me where it's like um, when you ask people. Yeah. (laughs) When you ask people about and then insert fake event, they just claim to know about it. Right. It's like it rather than going out of your way to say, I don't know. And I I imagine that's around for a long time. It's uh, reading this and knowing that it was written when it was, it made me realize, and, and this happens every so often, that a lot of the things that we think are new and specific to our age are really not. And like this There's can happen if you read like Voltaire. Sun. Yeah. Like this or Plato or like, you know, like this shit has been going on forever and it will continue to go on. Yeah. The population is larger and the ability to communicate with each other is greater. And so, but, but the, the spirit. <laughs> of nonsense has been around. I mean, that was true when the printing press was invented too. Like that was like no different than the internet and and people had the same thoughts and it was bringing out the same kinds of dynamics. All right, so let's get, we are dancing around what bullshit is. And part of that is because he also, (laughs) it takes him a while. I know, when I was talking to, to you, I was saying that this is, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I ever get is to say what you're, what you mean to say in your paper early, like, yeah. you know, end of first paragraph tops. And, uh, he's not, does definitely not, not about that. <laughs> it's not that style of essay, which again, I kind of appreciate just that it's not going, it's not boilerplate. It's not like, you know, according to this structure, which is fairly boring structure off often, like he's kind of wandering, um, uh, yeah, I, I will admit that I was frustrated because I thought that I was missing the point because maybe maybe as a result of the common structure, I like read six pages and I'm like, I don't like, wh- like, what is this about? What is- <laughs> well, it starts out weirdly as he goes into a definition of humbug. Yeah, but- because he did a literature search for one paper. <laughs> right. And he and then he found the a source, the prevalence of humbug by Max Black. And Can I says, just really quickly read this this sentence right before he says that? I have not undertaken a survey of the literature, partly because I do not know how to go about it. <laughs> Which is <laughs> the biggest skirting of <laughs> really? You're a scholar. <laughs> That's another thing that you can't get away with right now, right? Like, Can you imagine reviewer three? I, uh, <laughs> I just don't know how to use JSTOR, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry. So he, he, he goes through this definition of humbug, deceptive misrepresentation, short of lying, especially by pretentious word or deed of somebody's own thoughts, feelings, or of attitudes. Um, and then kind of goes through it, I guess, to see to what extent... 
this would uh, that definition would work for bullshit. Deceptive misrepresentation, short of lying, so it's not the same as lying, which will be important, especially by pretentious word or deed. He has something interesting to say there. He says, bullshit is like, it can be pretentious for sure. A lot of bullshit is pretentious. But, you know, the fact that we say pretentious bullshit means that it's not part of its essence, you know, like, uh, which I think is right. Like Trump, like who is a, you know, top of the line bullshitter, he's not pretentious. So he goes through it kind of, I don't know, says what what relations they might have with bullshit. But he's very he's like dancing around it. He's he's yeah. flirting. He is. It's weird that he started with with somebody's def I I get what he's doing. This is the kind of work that I understand he would be doing mentally to try to <laughs> right. to pull apart what <laughs> but like to start with this guy's definition of humbug and then write all the things that you disagree. Like this is like eight or nine pages before, <laughs> you know. That's what we were saying. So this is a, like an actual 20-page PDF document. I put a link in show notes. And it's funny because it's short, but what's even funnier is how much shorter it could have been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so, so yeah, he's very coy. It's like he's kind of coy about it. And then he tells the story about Wittgenstein. Now, I would think Wittgenstein <laughs> here, just based on what you're doing, you're looking at language, you're trying to figure out like, but it has nothing to do with any of his views on language or family resemblance no. or anything like that. <laughs> it is a story of him. What was the woman's name? Pascal. Uh, Pascal, right. Yeah, I'll read it. I'll yeah, read okay. It. I had, she says, I had my tonsils out and was in the Evelyn nursing home feeling sorry for myself. Wittgenstein called. I croaked, quote, I feel just like a dog that has been run over. He was disgusted. You don't know what a dog that has been run over feels like. <laughs> Which is, yeah, it's a point that can be made without the, like, the anecdote. Well, yeah. Also, like, it's a weird story about Wittgenstein, which he declines to interpret, like, was he kidding? He says, maybe. But was he, he just but a he total dedicates asshole? a whole paragraph to whether or not we should take Wittgenstein literally in this case. It's like... <laughs> I actually don't... This is one of the most... If I had to pin down the most confusing part of this essay, it's the relevance of the story, which takes up a few pages to what he's talking about. I, get, I, it's, I guess it's an introduction to the idea of unconcern or unconnected to a concern for truth, but... I just, it doesn't seem like that's what she was doing. And he seems to recognize, like, she's just saying something. She feels, you know, you see a dog that's been run over and you like, she's just making an analogy. As he says, sometimes people will say, I'm sick as a dog. You don't know what a sick dog feels like. Yeah. And like, I mean, I feel like shit, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. You don't know what shit feels like. If you're going to police all that kind of language, then then nothing. <laughs> but what's the point of the – like I guess the idea is really it's all leading up to this idea of unconnected to a concern for truth. But – Yeah, the, the sort of um, – the, the sort of like negligent or reckless uh, use of, of things that aren't true – without concern. So yeah, every time we use a metaphor, as Frankfurt himself points out, we would be accused of this. But if we're loosely using language like that, um, the, maybe it perhaps is that attitude that a bullshitter magnifies. Right. 
I guess. I guess. Yes. I guess. Yeah. Um, by the way, just I'm curious. Do you know the word pleonastic? No, I meant to look I, it up. I, I had to look it up. It's the, it's using too many words to describe something, like the use, the overuse of words to just like so, so li- like what's literally the context? kind of um, so deceptive misrepresentation is the phrase, and he says this may sound pleonastic, and that's referring to the fact that misrepresentation is already deceptive, right? So you're using too many words for the... So like um, redundant, kind of. Yeah, but I was like, t- you can't use the word pleonastic right after you talked about pretentiousness. <laughs> or, you ca- or you can, yeah, you know, or you for can. bestseller. <laughs> bestseller. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, that's what Frankfurt, like, is like, look at the numbers, look at the scoreboard. Where's your bestseller? <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to picture Frankfurt running down the sideline like Michael Jordan and shrugging his shoulders. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I, it's just I going in. Out, I wrote an article. I yeah. know it's going to be a bestseller. <laughs> I can't miss. I don't know what, what to tell you. Uh, yeah, so he. I guess he says, like, Pascal's Wittgenstein does not intend to accuse her of lying, but of misrepresentation of another sort. She characterizes her feeling as the feeling of a runover dog. She's not really acquainted, however, with the feeling this to which this phrase refers. It's just, uh, yeah, and then it she is said, for this mindlessness that Pascal's Wittgenstein chides her. Yeah, he says yeah. to the Wittgenstein in Pascal's story. Judging from his response, this is just bullshit. So now, maybe if you're trying to be as charitable to Wittgenstein here. Like, he's saying that this is a little like the bullshit of the branding document, which is, it just doesn't mean anything. It just means I feel really bad. Yeah, but it's not, and it's not attempting to, like, illuminate exactly how bad she feels. It's hard because, like, to me, it is communicating more than that branding document because she is saying I feel bad. And to give you a sense of how bad I feel in comparison to other times I've felt bad, I'm going to use this turn of phrase so it seems like it's communicating something for real. Um, I agree. And and he's just, you know, I can imagine Wittgenstein being just somebody who is too literal, maybe. You know, like that kind of person. <laughs> it, this would be a fun, like, play to write, which is you know, their, their interactions. <laughs> yeah. Pascal and Wittgenstein. Um, have like you ever get, read Wittgenstein's poker, by the way? Yeah, uh, I did, actually, yeah. but a long time ago, but it was yeah. like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, but yeah, I have it in my office. <laughs> the uh, last dig I'll make to a, to a paper that I actually like is um, that this does, this section reads like he sent it in and they said, we love it. Can you just make it like five more pages? <laughs> Pat He's it. like, oh, yeah. Everything that we tell our students not to do, like I tell, that's the one thing I like, that's not the one thing, but it's one of the things I was like, I don't want to see you padding a page. I would much rather it's like three pages under like my recommended page thing than to have you pad it with bullshit, with bullshit. Right. With bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. But this isn't bullshit. He's trying to make a point. It's just a long point, which is the cavalier attitude towards truth is something that he's trying to to introduce as something that he will flesh out a yeah. bit later. But I like, do you think she was bullshitting? There? No, because I don't at all. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, in it's only in as much as all use of metaphors cavalier about truth, because it is cavalier about literalism, because it is it intentionally is eschewing 
if, if that's how you say the word. Um, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Speaking <laughs> of pretentious. Uh, <laughs> Uh, then he talks about a bull session. So we are hovering around this concept without fully still landing on any kind of real stand, <laughs> once, taking a stand about it. Once you know? again, my metaphor of the break dancer in a, going around in a circle without hitting the floor. <laughs> like going, <laughs> That's exactly uh, right. Yeah. Um, do you, I didn't know what a bull session was. I've never heard that used. I have. Um, I don't know why, like, I don't know if I read it in books or if I've ever, but like, I get the idea of it, which is, all right, we're just, it's like spitballing, I think is the idea. Let's just, let's just throw shit out there, see if it sticks. You know, in 12 Angry Men, that marketing guy, I think, who's always like using these, let's, uh, run it up the flagpole and see if, uh, people salute it. Let's, uh, put it in a saucer, see if the cat drinks it up, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And 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 then also like he talks about like the drudgery and bull in a military police life. He quotes this guy Aaron uh I don't know what the first name is, Baron. Uh all that sorts of bull and here he says here the term bull ever evidently pertains to tasks that are pointless in that they have nothing much to do with the primary intent or justifying purpose of the enterprise which requires them. Thus, the unnecessary routine tasks or ceremonial that constitute bull are disconnected from the legitimating motives of the activity upon which they intrude, just as the things people say in bull sessions are disconnected from settled beliefs and as bullshit is disconnected from a concern with the truth. So now we're getting somewhere, it feels like. I, I Here's the thing that popped into my mind when he talks about the unnecessary routine tasks, ceremonial or pointless tasks that have nothing much to do with the primary intent. Have you ever like sat through sexual harassment, like training sessions <laughs> or, or seminars? I, I like, don't know if that's the good example that, <laughs> that we, we'd want to use, but I totally know what you mean. So, yeah, um, and, and, and like the number one thing you would say about those things is that they're bullshit, right? Like, they were told, like the universities have been told to, like, you know, uh, right. Deal not with that this the problem. advice, not that the advice itself uh, might not be worthy, but that the whole endeavor, yes, the whole endeavor feeds reeks of bullshit because it's not like it. It it reduces sexual harassment by like zero by zero percent. I actually felt the the one that I can recall, I felt so bad for the woman who came to train us because she, part of what she was trying to express was um, implicit attitudes, <laughs> implicit bias. And she was just in a room full of psychologists. <laughs> I would, she was sweating a little bit. <laughs> but here's the thing. Is there an unconcern for truth in those things? I don't think so. Like, I, I think I, people's intentions are good. It's time. It's that's what I feel. Like, with, it's not, it's <laughs> with your time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think pomp and circumstance is, I get what he's trying to say, but I, I would never use that as a central example of bullshit. But see, I would. To me, that is a prime example of bullshit that you have to go through. If, like, somebody asked me, how is that? sexual harassment seminar I was like you know it was bullshit but you know what are you gonna do but at the same time I think that the intentions behind it are at least for the people who are running it 
good. Yes, and that's that's why I resist it. Yeah, but that still doesn't. This is what I mean. Like, I still think it's still bullshit, even though. So I I might have a and and again unconcerned for truth. It it's not that's not what makes it bullshit. It's that it's not going to do anything is the thing that makes it bullshit. And it is a little bit for show. It is a little bit like, you know, okay, we check this box. There's a, it reminds me of another way in which I would use bullshit, which is imagine that um, you're in a group of friends and you tell one of them uh, to, or even maybe a child, but maybe you wouldn't curse, but you tell one of them to do something and they complain now, now, their complaints are stupid and they're just trying to skirt what they have to do. I would say quit your bullshit without meaning that they were cavalier with truth, that they were just being d- dumb. Like they're like the they're thing, stalling. the complaints were the complaints were true. They don't want to do it for that reason, but they have no good reason to be telling me that. Like, I don't, you're wasting my time. And that's the sense in which, like, you're wasting my time kind of thing. And that's the thing that, like, that this is ineffective and it's kind of obviously ineffective. So I think that's the way in which those things are bullshit. Time wasting, I think, is a big part of bullshit. Time, energy, wasting, like... Like an idle use of words. It's idle. It's not misrepresenting or cavalier with the truth. It's just idle. And it's idle in a way that's annoying. Uh, let me just say, by the way, I, some sexual harassment training might work. I don't, and we probably need it anyway. But but I hopefully you know what we mean. <laughs> Insert I actually, bullshit session. I, I'm not going to issue that caveat. I think those. Well, do you know that it doesn't total... work? Do you have data on that it doesn't work? Like I don't like I don't think there's data on whether it works or not. I. So, so right. that's why I'm willing I to say... take a stand and use human judgment. <laughs> I you believe know. that that a lot of people think it's bullshit, but but I do I do hold on to the possibility that maybe one soul one soul was made to consider whether or not in that video where the people are poorly acting, <laughs> <and> somebody are, says, <laughs> "I would love for this podcast to get my hands on one of those videos." They do things like uh, uh, he like somebody closes the door and they're like they pause the video and they're like, "Okay, what did he do wrong?" <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's part of it too. Is the infantilizing part of it? It's yeah. like the, the way they speak to you, like your children, and like there's just it's like everyone is expected to go through the ceremony, like a ritual, and maybe there's something, maybe there's something like valuable about it, but I don't think there's something valuable about it when it comes to reducing sexual harassment. If if everybody there thinks that what they're doing is going through the motions in order to check like a box in, in like the whatever university accreditation, then yes, like that's total bullshit. It's bullshit, but still not disconnected from a concern. Right. For not truth. what Frankfurt and, thinks to bring it back. Not yeah. what Frankfurt seems to land on for bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Finally, we get to like the, the, I think the big thing that this article and then best-selling book is, and who knows, maybe it'll be a movie soon. Like, <laughs> just like a Hollywood blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> the principle of alternate possibilities was his first hit. Now, Harry Frankfurt brings you. That was his like memento, like kind of a smaller like art house, and then like like this is his inception. His we dark get, like, night. There's horns. There's horns in the preview. 
so the, the the difference between lying and bullshitting is, I think, the the big thing that this article is justly famous for. This is what like a philosopher can do sometimes, like just draw attention to to like a distinction that maybe a lot of people are thinking they're more or less the same thing. So. He says, the liar is inescapably concerned with truth values. In order to invent a lie at all, he must he must think he knows what is true. In order to invent an effective lie, he must design his falsehood under the guidance of that truth. On the other hand, a person who undertakes to bullshit his way through has much more freedom. And so, like, the bullshitter is unconcerned with truth, whereas the liar is actually very, like, is actually respects the truth in the sense that they are then going to go against it. Right. Respect it in the sense that they admit that there is a truth and they 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 know it and they believe it and they're intentionally deceiving. Which, by the way, um, he, he talks about Augustine's uh, discussion of lying. And I think he says that the final, the final category for Augustine is people who lie <clears throat> with, for no purpose whatsoever. Like they're just like lying for the sake of lying. And that's true lying, he says. That's the only real lie. The real liar. So just, did he say that's not bullshit? The real liar? Because no, he I said that that's just really rare, that somebody just lies for the sake of, for the intrinsic, like, pleasure of lying. Yeah, I know, I know, There's I no know a couple of people who do that. <laughs> you do? But yes. Yeah, like, just, it seemed like lying was just a sport. Like, a, it's crazy. And it's like, wait, why would you make that up? It's like, it's like me telling you like, Hey, by the way, I went to target right before, uh, <laughs> right. Started, and, and, and it wasn't true. Like why, why would it matter? It's crazy. <laughs> I went to target. I got some paper towels and just like, but that like, seems okay, like good. bullshit to me to do right? that. Yeah. Lying well, I, I, line. I don't know. It just seems like a very weird liar. To me, yeah. like I, it's like, wasting I, my time. That's what I feel. That's why I feel like it's bullshit. It's waste. It's it's our our contribution to this discussion is that we have found a new criteria for bullshit, and that is yeah. just a complete disregard for what's what time is and what priorities are. <laughs> You're, and that's just something very distinctive about you too. Is that that's the that's the thing that you hate the most is people <laughs> taking up your time. <laughs> oh, I've had friends, unnamed friends, who have lied to me in a manner that requires me to, uh, because I believed the lie, to be on a conversation for like two hours talking them down. And it turns out that the event that had bothered them never occurred. Like to me, <laughs> I, that, and to me, that's just like the worst use of my mental resources. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't so mind recording for three hours with you. <laughs> So here's another interesting distinction. The fact about himself that the liar hides. You can tell this is written in the 80s because he's not even trying to like switch the he, she. <laughs> yeah, thing. exactly. You know, uh, the fact he didn't about, go through. He didn't go through that training. Tamla, he didn't I believe that. that uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fact about himself that a liar hides is that he is attempting to lead us away from a correct apprehension of reality. We are not to know that he wants us to believe something that he supposes to be false. The fact about himself that the bullshitter hides, on the other hand, is that the truth values of his statements are of no central interest to him. What we are to understand is that his intention is neither to report the truth nor conceal it. Yeah. So the bullshitter can say a bunch of stuff that turns out to be true. Right. And it doesn't even matter if they were saying it because it's true. It's just 
it, and it's in uh, it's amongst a string of things that might be false but the concern is never whether it's true or false it's in just communicating this bullshit right, right. there is intention behind it but the intention or usually there is some people just love it for art for art's sake the bullshit artist is yeah. like but it's just a total disregard for whether what you're saying is true or not. And, and this that, is, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say, like, I and, I and I know people have made this comparison before, but nothing describes Trump better. Yeah, no, that's that. exactly what I was going to say. Right. Yeah. And and this is you don't. I think even the people who support him know that this is the case, and the only argument that they might have is that it's not a big deal that he does this because he's doing it for some reason and therefore it's okay. But it is a utter disregard for what is true. Some of the things that he says, and you, you could just tell because he will switch the thing that he says with no compunction, like yeah. without saying I was wrong. Right. right. No, never. Right. No. I mean, like this is not a time where it's funny at all. This is a time where it's like horrifying, but there are times when it's really funny. Yeah. And there are times where, like, I, I, I haven't followed him on Twitter, but uh, there was a time where I would go to, like, his Twitter feed every once in a while just to see, like, the, what bullshit he was saying. And, and it is such a flagrant lack of regard for the truth. He's not even pretending to care about whether it's true or not. Like, there's almost something honest about it, something sincere, like, about what he's doing. A weird kind doing. of sincerity, right? He's <laughs> like, I'm a phony. And you know I'm a phone. There's there is no pretense that what's involved in a lie is an intent to deceive. So, if, with some rare exceptions, I, if I think that you know that what I'm saying is not the truth, then I would feel like I failed as a liar. But if I know that you know it's not true, I know it's not true. Everybody knows it's not true. Then, and we're going through the motion. It's it's bullshit. Yes. In contrast, and I think this is one of the reasons for his appeal among is that. A lot of politicians aren't doing that. They are bullshitting. They they will say anything. But the pretense is that they're being sincere, that this is that they are caring about the truth. And even if it's obviously not the case, they they pretend that it is the case. And with Trump, it's like that's gone, you know. Right. right. And if there's anything that's ad, almost admirable, admirable about him as a politician is, yeah, there isn't that pretense to to the to caring about the truth <laughs> i i would not use the word admirable but i know what you mean well but so maybe it's not even bullshit because the what frankfurt says or at least according to his definition right is that he is trying to deceive you about the fact that truth values are of no central interest to him and i don't think he's even trying to do to to do that yeah no you're right uh like i think that a lot of people you know people when even when they say they believe him what they believe is the spirit of his message because they've learned that they can't believe the actual content of the message they just agree with what he's trying to express and they make excuses that way. So maybe for them, to them, it isn't bullshit. To us, it might be bullshit uh, because we think that he is spouting off in order to persuade those people 
Or, or maybe bullshit doesn't have that condition. Maybe bullshitters can kind of be that flagrant about it. It's just rare. It's like right. the liar it's like who the, lies yeah, exactly. for the it's sake the of eighth, lying. Exactly. Yeah. Augustine's type eight liar. I want to know what the other seven <laughs> you know, read. <laughs> in, Augustine. in Augustine? Yeah. yeah. Um, he's finally gotten to what he thinks bullshit is. And then he goes in, and this this gave me the sense that this is why he was writing this the whole time. I don't know if we want to skip to this part, but the uh, when he discusses why bullshit has proliferated, Tamler, you already said one of the conditions um, where bullshit is unavoidable whenever circumstances require someone to talk without knowing what he is talking about. The second one is, he says, the contemporary proliferation of bullshit also has deeper sources in various forms of skepticism, which deny that we can have any reliable access to an objective reality and which therefore reject the possibility of knowing how things truly are. And he calls these anti-realist doctrines that undermine confidence in the value of disinterested efforts to determine what is true and what is false, even in the intelligibility of the notion of objective inquiry. So that to him, that disrespect, which he's clearly talking about academics, um, I think um, that, that, don't it's not that they're indifferent in the emotional sense to truth it is that they have decided that truth can't be something to strive for and because of that they've switched the goal of discourse or of whatever of pursuing what 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 it is they're pursuing and he says that instead of pursuing objective correctness they're pursuing an ideal of sincerity in the sense that they are sincerely trying to communicate their subjective experience. Right. And he says that that, he then goes on to criticize that, but before we get to the criticism, this is like a, this is a, a blow at, at what departments (laughs) that again, like what you said, it's clear that this was already happening in 1986. There were a ton of people who might have been spouting the kind of academic bullshit that he's railing against. I, if anything, I think it was more prevalent then because yeah. there wasn't as big an emphasis on like STEM and uh, all of that. So like I think that was, it, you know, it's it's maybe a little past the height of that stuff. And, you know, uh, I think Rorty might have been at Princeton at the time that he was writing this and – I don't know if that's a it's a, an attack on Rory. It's like a beef. <laughs> yeah, this could be kind of a beef about that. I mean, this is an old an old debate that goes back to Plato and the Sophists, and you know the Sophists who thought that truth is relative, and so what matters is that you persuade people. That is the goal of discourse. That is what we should be training our youth to do, because that's how you can acquire power, and that's how you. Can and um and and that's how you can be successful and socrates in plato's dialogues argues against that this is this is old and you know i think i actually think there's a lot to be said for both sides i've been reading a good amount of they're, Rorty. they're, they're good people on on both sides there's good people look <laughs> just like charlottesville <laughs> there's good people on both sides uh no i i like i think like rorty you know also nietzsche right like the perspectivalism like there are some good philosophical arguments for that point of view and there is a kind of leap of faith you need to make to 
think that what we're getting at, given our limited perspectives, is some kind of objective reality. You just have, it's inescapable that you have to, you know, whether it's the problem of induction or whether it's the problem of, uh, I think at the, at, the, at the deepest level of like what's, you know, science criticism and Thomas Kuhn, philosophy of science and all of that, like, so. And this I, is. This is the very thing that, that uh, the fundamental thing that you and I disagree about. And I am here on Frankfurt's side because I think that to the extent that anything like those endeavors are valuable, they are only valuable because there is a belief that some things are objectively true that can be sought after, right? And so at least this is what also what Frankfurt seems to believe because he says that... Um, Convinced that reality has no inherent nature, which he might hope to identify as the truth about things, he devotes himself to being true to his own nature. It is as though he decides that since it makes no sense to try to be true to the facts, he must therefore try instead to be true to himself. But he goes on to say, you have to have a belief that being true to yourself is capturing something that is actually true and in some sense objectively true. Yeah, I just don't. So... My problem with the end of this, and I, I don't know if we have a fundamental disagreement about that, because I don't know if I where I stand exactly. It's a, a fundamental disagreement of emphasis for sure. You, okay, here's what I'll say um, before. Sorry, letting you. It's you think it's a leap of faith, and I think it's a little step of faith that's that causes Zeno's paradox to be resolved. Right, that last step you take might cover infinite amounts of halves, but it doesn't matter. I don't think that it's that much of a leap to believe that there is objective reality. Right. So, okay. Um, like this is a different podcast because I don't think like, <laughs> I don't think even like the Nietzsche's and the Rorty's of the world are denying that there is an objective reality, just more it's an epistemological problem of uh, how, how we're to un understand it. And That's right. Whether it's epistemological, but but I think that Frankfurt is is criticizing the metaphysical. Yeah, here's what my problem with this though. I don't. I think this is utterly unrelated to bullshit. Like, and the prevalence of it. I, and, yeah, it yeah. was a drive by at the at certain people and certain departments. Yeah, it's irrelevant to what was before. I think getting at sort of the, uh, uh, some features and properties of this word bullshit that, that we use. Now it's like settling scores with, you know. Well, what, I guess, okay, let me defend him a little bit here. What he's saying is that um, I think bullshit is an attitude of disregard for truth. By truth, he means the, at least objective truth. And there is an entire industry of people who have a cavalier attitude toward truth. Now, what he's not being fair at is is the well-worked-out views of people who, if they don't believe in objective truth, then what they're saying isn't bullshit. Right. Like, it's only bullshit if you believe what Frankfurt believes. So it's a little bit of an unfair accusation. And they have their own understanding of bullshit also, which is, yeah, that's my beef with it. I mean, I think that Rorty can just as easily as Frankfurt's call people out for their bullshit, even though they have fundamentally different metaphysical and epistemological views of the world. Right. It might, I think it might be a little harder to call out some of this, you know, this is my description of, of my day kinds of papers. No, you're right. I, I thought you were going to say it might be a little bit harder for Rorty to call out like a Trump than for mm. Frankfurt, Oh, which might be no. right, actually.
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but but again, yet another case of this could be could have been a short paper, <laughs> even shorter paper. Um, but I think that this really is motivating. It, it seems when I read that paragraph, it seemed as if that was what had been motivating this paper to begin with. Like people are writing bullshit papers. They have no regard for the truth. These anti-realist doctrines undermine confidence in the value of disinterested efforts to determine what is true and what is false, and even the intelligibility of the notion of in, of objective inquiry. And and I, again, I think also like this idea of sincerity, like that's not, I like the, that's probably like some postmodernist or like I don't know French guy at the time who decided that it was all going to be about sincerity but that's that little reductio ad absurdum I think doesn't work on most of like the good anti-realists right it would be interesting to know how Rorty responded like if he if he responded at all he ends the paper just in trying to reify that point right that's that's just how it ends I don't know, like, we could talk about the methodology of this. You know, I'm, I, I couldn't be more against conceptual analysis in general, the way it's often employed by philosophers. Yeah. So I think there is a difference in um, the use of the conceptual analysis here versus in something like knowledge, where there seems to be a deeper faith in that knowledge as a concept almost just is mind independent, which it doesn't, it's not really, I don't think anybody really thinks that, but almost no, as do. if yeah. uh, that knowledge yeah. is mind independent. God. <laughs> <laughs> um, here, I think Frankfurt is being very honest and upfront with the kind of analysis that I think is interesting, which is, look, this is a, co- obviously this is a concept that we came up with, right? Who Like who knows if it exists in other cultures or in other times, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. We use this label. It's interesting to see that people use this in ways that other people understand across a variety of situations. What are those situations? Because you can't expect anyone to have a well-worked-out theory of what bullshit is, just like you can't have a well-worked-out theory of what, what a table is. Like it's, you, We use it, and, and, and I think that he We're is good at being— it. Yeah. I think that he's making a good-faith effort to, to just try to match— Right. The fundamental criteria for him is, does this match how people use it? And you and I included. Right. Yeah. I think the difference between bullshit and knowledge, definitely the biggest one and those debates is that he just states up front, like, I'm not going to try to give necessary and sufficient conditions, whereas that's the whole point of the knowledge <laughs> right. debate. And, and he said, because obviously there are none. Like, right. it's obvious to him that there yeah. are none. Right. But, but knowledge it occupies such a weird fucking place. In, yeah. but, but here's the, th- and, and this is why uh, even more so, it's also like, it's not an interesting question, what is knowledge in the way that what is bullshit? Like, why do we use this word? Like, knowledge is the kind of word that we use just without really being curious about. Like, bullshit is kind of interesting. It's like, we use this word constantly. Like, what is it referring to? Like, we've never really, like, with knowledge, I'm like, I've never reflected on that. I've never tried to think of. We have to pin down, like, what I mean when I say I know something. It's just not... Uh, maybe that's idiosyncratic to me, but like that's another difference. And there's so there's something about these words that, and it, and, and it's interesting just how they developed. Like how how did that word just all of a sudden acquire these properties? Clearly, when I use it, and I use it in all these wide range of 
different kinds of situations. It can be like a training seminar. It can be like an article that I read. It can be a whole field of research. It can be something that Eliza is, is, is saying something, you know, like it can be anything. Okay. I think I have something uh, about the fundamental difference here. If we went to Frankfurt and said, you know what? Um, I was reading your article and there is this sense in which when my daughter complains about something, I say, quit your bullshit. And I think that is a valid use of the term bullshit that isn't captured by what you said. He might say, interesting, right? Like that's, yeah. I mean, this is a fuzzy concept to begin with. The knowledge debate is that I could publish a paper. Imagine publishing a paper saying, this is an instance where I told my daughter, quit your bullshit. And surely you agree that this is bullshit. So therefore it defeats your theory of what bullshit was and that this is somehow progress, right? That this is like incredible, an incredible, like you can't do a Gettier paper for bullshit because Frankfurt himself acknowledged that bullshit would never have those kinds of of necessary insufficient. Right. Yeah. Or you could, because like nobody ever thought knowledge had sufficient conditions. I, I, in spirit, I agree with you. I think that we have stronger intuitions about knowledge that that are common that you might not think, but but it doesn't matter. That's not the point. It doesn't matter. It, It is a great example of a family resemblance word. As long as you acknowledge that, it can be interesting to explore the different kinds of ways that it's used. Because, you know, the, sometimes if if somebody calls something bullshit, they can kind of be wrong. Like, they can use it inappropriately. Like yeah, you totally. Can imagine, imagine, imagine acquiring a, this language when you come from a language, right? You have to learn. And the way that you're going to learn is through example, right? There, That's a reason that it's very hard to just tell someone what it is. They have to see what it is. Yeah, like when exactly. you use it, yeah. and when you, you learn a lot of, another language, there are these kinds of slang words that you just have to sort of absorb when it's appropriate and when it's not, and you will definitely use it sometimes when it's totally. not. Because... Sp- totally, Spanish has a word that means to use something for the first time. Yeah, and I'm constantly wanting to say that in English, but there's no words for it. But it's not always. That it's not like my definition doesn't, uh, it's not like, so you could be a Spanish speaker learning the word and you could misuse it and we would laugh at you even though it met those criteria. And and bullshit, bullshit is obviously like this. And probably most concepts are, which, which is why this is a good example of, you know, criticism aside, what I think is interesting conceptual analysis. I totally agree. And but to like, think that you're getting to something metaphysical is bananas like people argue about the word atom and what the word atom means and they think that they're adding to the scientific debate and Uh, it's like that seems to me to be like you know like as crazy as somebody who's like a flat earther or something (laughs) like i really does like i just I, i can't understand it um that people uh, approach language that way and I've never really understood it and the only question is to what extent that applies to other things to me like you know like moral responsibility or blameworthy or oh yeah you know like that's you know. actually yeah that's uh, thank like you reminded me of something else I want to say which is that um that kind of the kind of conceptual analysis that Frankfurt is doing is the kind of thing that I would I could understand if what you saw for instance, the law, 
and it's the way that it used the term responsibility to like incorporate things like negligence and recklessness and all, you know, it's something that's coming to the forefront when we decide what kind of murder it was that 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 was committed on George Floyd. All of those things are a kind of naturalistic conceptual analysis that that emerged into common law or whatever. And it's not that responsibility is like this fundamental. There's a box with the word responsibility on it that we can just discover. It's of course not. It is what we have used it to be. And now that means that you can be wrong when you say that somebody is responsible. Like it's it's you could really use it completely incorrectly, but that doesn't mean that it's privileged. But you could use it incorrectly only insofar as that was the agreed upon language, right? Yes. So like a whole country, a whole culture after like 50 years where the word has kind of transformed and people are using it, like they can't use it wrong. I'll give you an example of just that, which is that we I have a project on moral praise and, uh, I was trying to think of what we would say for moral praise, the opposite of blame, for you know respond moral responsibility, the reaction to a, to somebody who's morally responsible for a good thing, and there was no Spanish word that captured it, right? And it's not I don't think they they don't understand what moral praise is because I could tell them, but it actually I was talking to two native speakers and it was actually taking me quite some time to express what moral praise meant when well, that's we not really it. a word in english it's not something that people like that's like a that's a philosopher psychologist word like nobody says i morally praise that person it might be a term of art you're right it might be a term of art but but it is one that exists in in at least it it struck me which is making your point it struck me that that it didn't exist there in Possibly shouldn't have because you're right. If I ask the person on the street what moral praise is, they might not know. But they but, might. You put the two words together like extra ordinary, <laughs> moral, moral praise. I only use the kind of praise that's italicized. No, and I wonder if bullshit has analogs in other languages. I'm sure it does in some, but maybe not in others, you know? Yeah, and why just... would it in others? You'd have to believe that there is some sort of natural right. kind nativist like concept that's sitting there to be discovered. And I know people genuinely believe this, and I'm not doing justice to that view probably in the way that I'm summarizing it, but it seems just on the face of it to be ludicrous to me. There are concepts don't exist just like that. They don't just... Yeah, it seems like you should be like institutionalized <laughs> if you think that. Like, you know, and I've had respectful conversations with people who, but I have yet to not think like they shouldn't be literally institutionalized, but to think that like that there's anything behind it. And maybe I'll, you know, when I I'll, I'll go to my grave and realize I was wrong, but it hasn't happened. <laughs> well, I'm a stubborn son of a bitch. So. Yeah. If if you if you mean metaphorically institutionalized, I'm disgusted. <laughs> That's another one we could do. Disgust. <laughs> yeah. It's disgusting. That's right. right? Yeah. Like it has That's a right. yeah. Yeah. There is where it's only to me, scientific concepts are totally terms of art. They have to be defined in a way that we've had this discussion before and I won't belabor it, but the the common use of the word often gets in the way of what the scientist is trying to describe. And so we should just use other words. Yeah. Yes. And define them properly. But then there's the question of are then what's this for? Like if 
the interest of it is to the extent that which it cor- corresponds to the concept as people are like i'm i'm trying to do an outline right now about experimental work on responsibility and free will judgments and it, it there does seem to be this dilemma where you can either define it very specifically but then there's no reason to think it corresponds to uh, popular usage because especially since that's just a mess how people are using it uh the you know the folk concept of it as you know like the experimental philosophers like to say or you can try to measure it like measure people's judgments by by imagining that you think what they're saying but then the problem is how do you know like that's the whole point of the of the exercise and i know your student lance bush is working on this issue yeah. too and this is, it's so frustrating because there really is, I think, a meaningful difference in the some the social psychologist's approach to this, where I think we're more willing to say there is a meaning in the heads of lay people and let's investigate what that is. Whereas experimental philosophy really is, let us use this as a metric for the philosophical concepts that we agree are, are right, which to me seems like a, 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 just an endeavor that Right, but like there's not given that there isn't a really a lay concept, or at least that that's what they're trying to discover yeah. is the lay concept. It's like, yeah, there there's something that seems doomed, doomed, like fundamentally unsound about the about the whole project. Um, yeah, maybe they should all be institutionalized. <laughs> that's going to be the point. It's going to be my <laughs> thesis statement, which I will only get to on the last page. <laughs> All right. Speaking of the last page, should we wrap it up? <laughs> um, join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. Please send us your branding documents for Very oh, Bad Wizards. Yeah. Or tone. We need six tone words. We'll put a link to the. You can use the University of Oregon as a template, or or you know, come up yeah. with your own. <laughs> if you do a good one, I I mean this with all sincerity. We'll read it on the air. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. I thought you were going to say, we'll use it. <laughs> and we'll use it. It's really good. We'll use it for its sponsors. Uh, right. Join us next time on Very Bad Wizards. Just a very bad wizard.